uh, we need you as always. Um, always, Lord. Every moment. Uh, but God, we pray this morning that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we could see wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So the primary command, exhortation, in this passage is that one word that I had you repeat, the word, the word bless. That word bless in the original language is the word eulogio, that is where we get the word eulogy from. A eulogy, when we use the word eulogy, we're typically speaking about um, part of a funeral service, correct? Where somebody uh, stands up and that part of the funeral service is, is given to, um, to say good things about the person that has passed away. The word uh, eulogio literally means to praise, to celebrate with praises, to ask God's blessing on a thing, uh, to pray that God uh, blesses or, or uses somebody. Um, it is a consecratory blessing of God. Uh, it means to cause to prosper, to make happy, to bestow blessing on, favor of God, to be, to be blessed. That's the, the textbook definition. And so at this point in a funeral, uh, it's given for somebody to stand up or maybe a couple of people to stand up and to always say kind words about this person. I don't know if you guys have ever been at a funeral where during the eulogy time, somebody has stood up and has not said kind words about that person. Has anybody ever experienced that? It doesn't happen often, although I'm thankful that I've never been doing a funeral where that's happened, but I have heard of it happening. Uh, in fact, I had somebody one time uh, who was a chaplain at a nursing home. It was, it's not Matt Rao, by the way. It's not Matt. Um, but somebody else, that they, they were doing this funeral for this family, and, and as part of the chaplain, they were... Um, the part of their duties was to do these funerals, and, and so they were having a time where, you know, friends and family were saying some nice, some nice words, and somebody got up, and speaking of the person who had passed away, they just said, they were a real bleep, and she said, she was like, the, the, the chaplain, they didn't really know, they didn't really know what to do, um, but it was pretty awkward, to say the least, Okay. If you can imagine what that must have been like, because the eulogy time, eulogy, like it's, it, it, like by definition, it means that we, that we bless, that we say kind things, that we are being intentional about imparting grace in some, in some sort of way. And what I, I, the reason I, I tell that whole story to set this up is because, again, this primary command in the passage to bless, to eulogio, guys, it's awkward when the church doesn't do what we're called to do. It's awkward when we're called to bless, which is exactly what it says there, again, but on the contrary, verse 9, bless, what, why? For to this you were called, we're called to be a blessing, and we don't bless, and God has intended us as his body, as his people, to be a blessing to the world. For to this 
you were called. This goes all the way back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 when, you know, if you, if you read, you know, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, the first two chapters are good because sin has not entered the scene yet, but then chapter 3, you know, the devil comes in and he tempts Adam and Eve. They, they, they uh, you know, take of the, the tree of, uh, of good and evil and they eat and things become a mess. In chapter 4, you know, Cain already is murdering Abel. By chapter 6, God is already raising up Noah to wipe out the entire human race because the thoughts of every man's heart were only towards evil continually. Okay? And so then God wipes them all out and he starts all over. But again, by chapter 11 already, they're building a tower, a tower of Babel. And they're saying, we will make a name for ourselves. In other words, they were going to raise all of their might against heaven. And God comes down, he goes, I don't think so, and he squashes that and gives them different languages. But then in chapter 12, God begins to step in, and he, be, he begins to step into human history in a very special way, and he begins to take the, the, this, this man and this woman, Abram and Sarah, who are barren, who cannot have children, and he says, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to make you great. God is, is actively going to step into human history and begin to work through a man. It's always through somebody, and he wants to work through us today. And in Genesis chapter 12, all of a sudden, Abram comes onto the scene just out of nowhere. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. Listen, and I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and those who dishonor you I will curse, and in you... Again, God working through somebody. That's the way he always does it. And in you, through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So whenever God sets out to work, he wants to work through people to bless people so that people see that there's a source of blessing that is God himself, that all the honor and praise and glory goes back to God. And this is exactly what Peter's picking up on here. Uh, guys, his, God's plans, his purposes, his ways have not changed. He intends for his church to be a blessing, to be a eulogy to the world. And when we don't stand up and bless as we're supposed to bless, it's just really awkward. It's just really awkward. Um, and so I want us to understand uh, the weight and the importance of this. And again, right along with it, and, and, and again, understand the grounds for why he's saying this. Again, bless, and you know, God wants to be honored and glorified in it. Bless, you can be a, I'm blessing you so you can be a blessing. But again, I love that little phrase then. For, to this you were called. Guys, to this we were called. We're called to be a blessing. We're, we're called to be intentional. This is what Jesus meant when he, when he talked about being salt and light. This is what Jesus was talking about in places like Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, you know, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor but hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers... What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
And what I want to talk about this morning is, is that when we, uh, or if we're going to aspire to be a blessing to the world, as I'm trying to prove to you here that God intends for us to do from, from his word, um, when, when we're not a blessing to the world, it isn't just a bad witness. It's a denial of our calling. It's a denial of what we're called to do and who we're called to be um, in the world. And so that's the, that's the primary command, exhortation there in verse 9 in the center of this short passage. And what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this morning is, is how do we do that? What, does that? what does that look like to truly be a blessing so that we can't just kind of go and pat ourselves on the back and be like, yeah, yeah, I think I'm a blessing because I, you know, I think I'm a pretty nice guy. I think I'm a pretty nice person. But how do we, how do we know that we're a blessing? Well, Peter is going gonna, is gonna to unpack this a little bit again around that command. Um, first of all, if we're going to be a blessing to the world and ultimately bring God honor and glory through it, uh, we have to have a heart for relationships. We have to have a heart for relationships. Look at verse 8, okay? He says, finally, all of you, <coughs> excuse me, he lists these five things. He says, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, the reason I say that if we're going to be a blessing, we need to have a heart for relationships is that you, you, you can't really have any of those things that are listed there in verse 8 if you're not in some sort of relationship with other people. In other words, those qualities aren't something that just come out when you're just kind of like sitting around by yourself. Those are fruits that are born of the spirit of a, of a heart that's been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ because he acted that way towards us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. And that when we believe in him, then these things are to, are to come out in our life. Unity of mind, it doesn't mean that we're robots or that we're clones or that um, you know, we all just think exactly the same thoughts, but it means that we have the mind of Christ that, that our will individually but collectively is to do what God wants us to do. That we're not our own, that we were bought with a price. Sympathy, it, it, it's the idea of feeling with. Um, that... Again, like last week we talked about husbands and wives and I, and I kind of exhorted the husbands you know, to take time to truly understand where your wife is coming from and her perspective. And it's this idea of, of feeling with, of having, of having empathy, brotherly love, that there's a, again, all these have to do with just a, a real felt compassion inside that, that, we, that we feel a love for one another, that we don't just say it. A tender heart, again, very, there's a lot of overlap. It means being sensitive to the needs of others. A humble mind that we have a realistic estimate of our own weaknesses, that we're self-aware. One of the biggest things the Lord has been teaching me, just in my own personal life right now, is the importance of self-awareness uh, in leadership. And not just in leadership, but just in, in, in all of life. Like, are you aware of who you are, but are you also aware of who you're not? Are you aware of how you're gifted? You know, for those of you that have been taking the, the Equipped and Empowered course, a couple weeks ago, you know, we, we talked about spiritual gifts and trying to understand, you know, um, how those work. And it's important to know how you're gifted, it's, but it's, also, it's just as important, if not more important, to understand how you're not gifted. To know, to know who you aren't. Are you self-aware? Do you have a realistic estimation of, of who you are? Um, and so, 
these are the types of things, these types of attitudes that if we're going to be a blessing have to come out in our lives. And so real quickly, like if you asked your wife or if you asked your husband or if you asked your best friend or if you asked your co-workers, hey, do, you, do I have sympathy? Do I show brotherly love? Would you describe me as having a tender heart? Would you describe me as having a humble mind? And if they all say, uh, not really, then it's going to be hard for you to be a blessing. And again, what Peter is doing here, he's, he's wanting us to, as James says, hold up this word as, as a mirror and look at ourselves and take an honest assessment. But again, not just outwardly, but a mirror for our heart inwardly. Do we have these things among us? And so, okay, so Eric, you're saying, you know, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, humble, you know, I'm, I'm to be humble, you know, all those things. But how do, we, how, do we, how do we get there? Like, how does that actually happen? And here's what I love about the book of 1 Peter, and that we know that Peter's writing this, is because we have so much information on Peter in the Gospels, right? In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have all this information about about Peter, uh, and of course he was, you know, one of the twelve, and Jesus called him to, to walk with him. Um, and so what's interesting to me is that as you kind of would just do just a little bit of like a personality profile about Peter as we find him in the Gospels, you wouldn't really describe Peter as sympathetic or as tender-hearted or as humble-minded, right? I mean, it's not very humble-minded when you take Jesus aside and you begin to rebuke Jesus, right? You remember when Peter did that? I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't count as humble. That's the opposite of humble. And then Jesus has to call you Satan, okay? It's not, it's not a good day for you um, when Jesus calls you Satan. Uh, but that happened to Peter. And so my, 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 my question is, and this is what you kind of call biblical theology in terms of like how you begin to kind of reconcile these things, and we, we can at least... Um, I think, gain a little bit of insight when we begin to think about Peter's life early on and who he was in his natural self and to how he got to who he, who he came to be at this point where he's writing this letter shepherding the early, the early church. Um, the big answer is, is, like, how did Peter change? Well, he spent time with Jesus. <laughs> he followed him for three years. Guys, if we, want, if we want a heart like this, if we want to be a blessing to the world around us, if we want to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ and walk in the calling to which we've been called, which is to be a blessing, we've got to spend, we've got to spend time with Jesus. Um, but not just spend time with Jesus, but I, but I believe that in spending time with Jesus, that Jesus will do something, guys, that is, uh, I think he does it for all of us. Um, in fact, I'm sure that he does. Um, is he begins to reveal, and only he can do this, but he reveals what's inside of us. He knows our motives. See, he, like, he, I know you would say, like, yeah, he knows that I was singing a little bit ago, but he knows why you're singing. He knows where your heart is while you're singing. And yeah, he knows about the good deed that you did this past week, but he knows why you did the good deed you did this past week. He knows the Why? in everything that we do. And because he's a good shepherd, there are times in our life over and over again, and sometimes in really big kind of 
painful, dramatic ways where he really reveals what's going on in there. And many times it's not good, but he shows us that it's not good so that we could repent and ask him to give us a heart, a heart like his. And I think of one situation very specifically, especially in regards to Peter's life and these, these qualities that are to be part of our life as his people, if we're going to be a blessing to the world, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. But you guys remember that towards the end of Jesus' life, uh, everything was culminating in him going to the cross. And again, even Peter and the 12, they just, they didn't understand this. He would talk about it over and over again. Like Mark made, makes it very explicit. Like he would take them aside. I'm going to go be crucified. And they're like, uh. And he'd take them aside. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. And they're like, uh. And it just, they, just, they just never got it. To the place where finally, right the night that he's going to be betrayed and arrested and then crucified the next morning, they're in the garden of Gethsemane. And, uh, and Jesus has told them, that it was leading up to this moment over and over again. And you have this account. I want to read both these accounts from both John and Luke because they kind of give these different perspectives and then unpack this. But it says that when Jesus, this is John chapter 18. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook of the Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with the disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. It's a very dramatic scene. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward, and he said to them, to this band that has come out to arrest him, whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Literally just, he said, I am. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing there with them. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that had been spoken of those whom you gave me. Not one of them had been lost. So even in Jesus' moment, hour of, of crisis, he's still thinking about others. He has a heart that's sympathetic, tender-hearted, humble-minded. Anyway, but verse 10. Then Simon Peter, who's writing this letter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And again, I always think he was probably aiming to chop his head off, but he just missed. It's like, who aims for the ear, you know? I mean, not that I would know. I don't anyway. But he chops off his ear. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Quickly, Luke's account. It says, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, and one of the twelve was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And now, now listen, and when those who were around him, around Jesus, saw what would follow, they began to ask. They said, Lord, sh shall we strike with the sword? Verse 50, one of them, and we know again from John's account that it was Peter, Luke doesn't tell us who, but he says, one of them, the servant of the high priest, or, or one of them, struck with a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to them, no more of this. 
and he touched his ear, and he healed them. So now, he, here's the scene. If you, if you get these two things, this is so interesting to me. It's like, I'm so, like, I so relate with Peter on some level, although as your pastor, I don't want you to think that I've ever gone after anybody with a sword. But, but like, the idea there, especially in Luke, is like, here comes this band of soldiers. I mean, very dramatic. These disciples know something is going down. And again, these are just like, these are good old boys from the backwoods. I mean, they're, they're fishermen from Galilee. I mean, Peter was a man's man. He's like, you want to fight? Hey, it's on right now. Right now. We're going. And he's ready to throw down in that, in, in, in that moment. And, it, and, and it's like, the rest of them, and I just appreciate this about Peter, is like, he's, they're asking, Lord, should we, should we strike? And Peter's like, we'll ask questions later. And he pulls out the sword, you know, and he goes after him and chops off his chops off his ear, and obviously that wasn't the thing to do, because God had a plan in his son being arrested and being crucified. And Peter, in all of his zeal and in his earthly passion, which we can, yeah, I mean, I kind of get it, he was opposing the plans and the purposes of God by not, in that moment, even though he was being mistreated, which again is the context of this, this passage in First Peter. It's, not, it, it's when you're being reviled, don't revile in return. But on the contrary, bless. And Peter chops off the guy's ear. And I just think that surely that situation in his life had to lead to him changing and being eventually, and eventually be able to pen these words in this letter in chapter 3, with sincerity, where he says, you know, have sympathy, brotherly love, all these things. When he, when he sees the guy that he, just, he was going after and just chopped off his ear, Jesus reaches out and heals him. And here's the point. Is if you were to ask the question, how do you get a heart like this, a heart that's described in verse 8, here's what happens. You spend time with Jesus, and as you spend time with Jesus, he reveals to you that you don't have a heart like his. And I, guys, I can't, like I know God, James makes it very clear. God doesn't want any of us to sin, and he doesn't tempt people to make us sin. That's the devil, and he's sovereign over it all, and it's hard to reconcile all those things. But I know this, is that because God is sovereign and because he is able by his unbelievable supernatural power to work all things together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purposes, as the Bible says. I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, one of the things he's done is he has used my sin to make me hate my sin. Amen. He has used moments where it is clear beyond a shadow of a doubt because of the word that I said, because of the way that I acted, because the way that I responded, that I am not like him. And it makes me cringe. But that, that is part of the sanctification process, guys. And that is part of how you get a soft heart, like is described here in verse 8, is by having Jesus in all of his goodness, in all of his good shepherdness, reveal to us that, man, you you don't have a heart like his. Amen? That's what he's after. And I just, I said, because guys, in, in this life, I hope this helps, you are, in this life of following Jesus, it's difficult. And there are times where you are going to fail, and you're going to fail big time. 
Okay? I hope you don't try to chop off a dude's ear or his head. But even still, you're, you're, I mean, you're going to fail. And I want to tell you this morning and encourage you, it's all part of the process. And all God ever wants from you when, when you see that you have kind of an ugly heart, when you see that there's something in you that isn't very much like Jesus, all he's looking to do is, again, to turn to him in faith and say, Jesus, please save me. Save me again. Change me again. Form me more and more into your image again. That's why the Bible talks about being transformed as we gaze upon him from glory to glory to ever-increasing glory because it's a process. And so if God has been doing that in your life lately, don't think that you're a terrible disciple. Know that it's just part of the process. It's part of following Jesus. Um, is he's all about your heart. And not just what you do, that's important, but why you do what you do. So have a heart like this, and he says, bless, for to this you were called, and again, the end of verse 9 there, that you may obtain a blessing. And then he's going to quote, okay? So he's going to ground, again, what he's saying to them. He's not just, you know, going rogue here, even though he was an apostle and he carried special authority. Um, but he is still, he's rooting and grounding what he's saying in the scriptures. And so he quotes from Psalm 34. And verses 10, 11, and 12 are a quote from Psalm 34, verses, verses 12 through 16. And here's the second part of, if you were to ask the question, how are we to be a blessing to the world? How are we to be a beautiful eulogy to the world? Almost, yeah, Jesus is going to change our, our hearts, and he's going to reveal that we don't have a heart like his. But secondly, guys, we must live in the word. We must, we must bleed the word. And here's, here's why I use that image of, of bleeding the word. Um, Charles Spurgeon told a story one time about John Bunyan, who wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan lived uh, a couple hundred years before Charles Spurgeon, uh, back in the 1800s. And have you guys ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Heard of it? It's the best-selling book all time outside of the Bible. Number two is The Pilgrim's Progress. It's just a long allegory of the Christian life. It's brilliantly written. Um, <laughs> but here's what Spurgeon said about John Bunyan. He said, I would quote John Bunyan as an instance of what I mean. Read anything of his, and you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. Almost like reading the Bible itself. He had read it till his very soul was saturated with Scripture. And though his writings are charmingly full of poetry, yet he cannot give us his pilgrim's progress, the sweetest of all those poems, without continually making us feel and say, why, this man is a living Bible. And here's what he says. He goes, if you prick him anywhere, you will find that his blood is bibbling. I love that. If you prick him anywhere, you will find that his blood is bibbling. In other words, he bleeds the Bible. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the word of God. I commend this, or I commend his example to you, my beloved. Um, and guys, that is exactly what I think the illustration of the picture that Peter's putting forward to us here, that as he seeks to be a blessing to these people that are in the midst of tremendous suffering, he again is not just offering them his own thoughts, but he's offering them his own thoughts on the word of God. Is guys, if we're going to be a blessing to the world, it's just not possible if we're not seeking to be obedient to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, which says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you dwell richly in you. 
The Word of God has got to just bleed from us. When anybody pricks us, when anybody pokes us. And again, I'm not obviously advocating for some sort of weird religious person that you know goes around thumping everybody over the head with Bible verses. But guys, if we don't have this book inside of us, if we've not hidden his word in our hearts, we have nothing to bless the world with. Amen. Nothing. That's why here on Sunday mornings, you know, again, you don't, church, you don't have to do it this way. Churches don't have to do it like us. But I'll just be like, for me, I don't have anything to say if I don't have this book. Yes, yes. I mean, I've got like maybe like five, six funny stories that I could tell you. But that's not going to last week after week after week after week. And it's not going to do any good even if I do tell them. Like, we have to have the Word dwelling richly in us. As Peter's seeking to be a blessing to these people that are in the midst of tremendous suffering, he goes back to the Word of God and he grounds, he grounds uh, all the source of his hope and his blessing in the Scriptures. Um, God is the ultimate source. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, is the ultimate source of blessing to the world, again, through us. But the practical source is the Bible. And what I mean by that is, like, if I was to ask you, like, what, what, what is your water supply at your house? Like, where do you get your water from? I mean, both, you, you could answer, you could say, well, I've got a well, you know, or I've got city water, whatever, I've, but I've got a well, or you could say, I've, I've got the spigot. And both would, would be right. The, the well is the ultimate source. God is the ultimate source. But where do we go to tap into the well? Where do we go to tap into that source of life? We go to the scriptures. And guys, we have to get in the Bible until the Bible gets down into us. Um, we got to. And I can't make you do that. No other pastor, guy on TV can't make you do that. Also, sermons like this or sermons on YouTube or podcasts, which I'm all for, you know, whatever, like, they're everywhere. That's not equal to getting into the Word for yourself. Um, and if, you're go if we are going to be a blessing to the world, uh, we've got to get into it. And sometimes, again, God and His goodness in shepherding us, He will lead us into situations where He shows us that we have nothing to say if we don't have his word. And he'll reveal to us that our hearts are dry and that we're not bleeding the Bible and that his word isn't oozing, isn't oozing from us. John Piper, <clears throat> I remember him telling a story one time that, that resonates with me because I've, I've had similar situations. But he told, I remember him telling a story one time of very early on in his pastoral ministry that um, there was a very godly older couple in their church and, and the wife had passed away. And so he, he went to... Uh, the hospital, you know, to be with them when he when he gotten news of this, and the husband said, "Pastor John, give a give us a word from the Lord, you know, just give us give us something of encouragement." And he said, you know, in that moment, you know, he was uh, he he tried to quote like part of a psalm, I forget what 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 psalm it was, but he said he just completely butchered it, you know, it was kind of like a little bit of this, a little bit, but it just and it was and he said the guy was very gracious. And, you know, because he knew that he, he kind of put him, put him on the spot. Uh, but he said he, that, that's, that moment, in that situation, he became so aware that in that moment, he wasn't ready in season and out of season. 
So just coming up in the next week or two, Peter's going to say, he's going to talk about like, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. Um, that we're to bleed the Bible continually. And I can't tell you how many times one of the things that will make you, uh, I don't know if a better preacher is the right word, but uh, a more prepared preacher is getting up to preach when you're not really prepared. You don't have anything to say. And I can't tell you. And I'm sure some of you guys have witnessed that <laughs> from time to time. But it's like there, where there's been times where it's like I've not had the word of God dwelling richly in me. And you get up to speak and it's, just don't have a lot to say. Because guys, this is, this is the source, the source of life. Um, in the end, we have Jesus who is gracious to, to change our hearts um, and also gives us his word so that we can, so that it can ooze from us and bleed, bleed on to others. And let me just read, uh, actually, let me read, worship to me and come up, we're going to close. Again, verses, verses 10 through 12 are found um, in Psalm 34, uh, verses 12 through 16. But I want to read all of Psalm 34. Because Psalm 34 is written by David uh, in a season where uh, he was just at the end of his rope. Um, he was on the run from Saul, and uh, his life was kind of falling in caves and in holes in the ground. And... Um, Finally, he goes to kind of an enemy king, an enemy king uh, named Abimelech, um, and he thinks he can hide out there, but then uh, he's afraid that Abimelech is going to kill him, and so he ends up acting like a madman. He literally pretends to be crazy, and the Bible said his plan uh, to get away from Abimelech then was to, he began to drool on purpose, and let drool just run down his beard, and then, Abim and then Abimelech is like, this dude's crazy, man. Like, get, get him out of here. So they, so, they let him, so they let him go. In other words, it's a, it's a low point in, in, in David's life. Um, and, uh, and again, I, I think it's fitting that as we talk about in order to be a blessing that we have to let the Word of God dwell richly in us, I think it's fitting that I just close just by reading all of Psalm 34 and what David has for us there. And I especially hope that it's encouraging to you um, if you're going through a difficult time this morning. Maybe you are kind of, the drool's kind of running down your own beard and you're, you're feeling just like you, you're, at the end of your, you're at the end of your rope. I pray that this ministers to you. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, all you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? 
Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Father, we, we pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that you would cause us to be a blessing to the world. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified, that the world would see that it's not that we're great, but it's that you're great. That we may not be a blessing in and of ourselves, but we have a source of blessing that comes from a good God. And Father, I pray that if there are areas of our life where it's probably pretty evident that we're not a blessing, that we're not a beautiful eulogy to the world. Lord, just change us. Change us. Change us. Don't let us remain as we are. Do what only you can do, Father, in changing our hearts. You're good, Lord, and we love you. Strengthen us this morning that we could be a blessing for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys stand with me. Uh, if you're helping serve communion, you can come forward. We take communion here every week. Uh, not because we believe that actually partaking of these physical elements of the bread and the juice will in any way save us, but what they represent absolutely saves us. And the Bible